For everything indie. For everything indie. For everything cults. It's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. Welcome in to the post-game edition, the surprising, unbe- truly unbelievable post-game edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you after the Colts make history uh, and what is a 39-36 overtime loss to the Vikings in which they have the biggest blown lead in NFL history, 33-0 all in the second half. George, we were joking about a 33 fourth quarter for the Vikings after we saw the Cowboys did the last on the Colts route, and they uh, Minnesota did uh, did surpass that with a 39-point second half uh, and overtime as they make history. And I feel like the only way – I don't know if we're allowed to do this, but I think uh, after this it's kind of worth it. I think the only way to start this pod, George – is I crack it up with a cold one here? Because I think after this game, we all need a little liquid courage to just actually try to figure out what the hell we just witnessed. Because that was, again, for how bad the season's gone, Colts found a new low this week and finding a way to just make it worse. Well, they've been outscored 62 to nothing from the end of the third quarter uh, in the last two weeks now, which is an incredible number in and of itself. That's just one. I'm looking at some tweets, you know, from ESPN their uh, sports and information department, which is one of the most incredible things going uh, out there anywhere right now. And, and Colts had a 99% chance of winning with a 33 to nothing lead with eight minutes and 30 seconds to go in the third quarter. Uh, here we are talking about a 39 to 36 loss to Minnesota. I would say it's unbelievable, but can we really call anything unbelievable in, that surrounds the 2022 Indianapolis Colts? No, in a season like you said, that it, like we are the ones, especially that could attest to this the most, because we've at least been here every week picking the, you know, picking the, um, picking the games, and it feels like anytime we both have a good feel about how a game is going to go, good or bad, the Colts find a way to just surprise you, shock you, and take it into a twist where you don't believe coming. And you know the most frustrating part with this loss, George, is the fact that this loss I think is actually beneficial for the Colts in terms of the future. I think at this point, winning games is not good for the Colts. You want to lose as many as possible. And at the end of the day, mission accomplished, right? They're four, nine, and one. They're only going to move up in the draft, and you get that much closer to maybe getting a shot at Bryce Young. But even when you lose, even when before the game, you said the Colts lose, okay, fine. There's really no reason to be upset. You are still finding yourself conflicted. We're honestly going through the game, George. You see the Vikings slowly making a comeback. This, to me, got to a point where it was a lose-lose because either you blow and you make history blowing a 33 sec- uh, to nothing second half lead and you blow the biggest lead in NFL history, you become a laughing stock and a joke, or you win the game, you hurt your draft stock, and maybe you you catalyze this team, catalyze Jeff Saturday, where in a dominant win over a playoff team, maybe Jim Mercer starts thinking, oh, Jeff Saturday, maybe he's a coach. Maybe that this team can, you know, make a run and go 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and so it's like there was no positive outcome. That's the, the most frustrating part is, they lose, it's still it's still crushing, it's still not good. They win, it's not good at all. Like, it was a lose-lose situation. That's the most frustrating part because Colts, they put their fans all season long in an impossible situation. I thought none was more impossible than what we saw just hours ago. No. Uh, you know, again, I, I just, I've gotten to the point where nothing surprises me this year. I, I've come to expect anything. So I'm more surprised they had a 33-point lead than I am that they blew a 33-point lead. I mean, of the two, the first half was far more surprising to me than the second half. My big question now is, you know, Jeff Saturday's done a pretty good job of, of keeping this team together, um, keeping them from, you know, doing anything in terms of just tanking straight out. You know what I mean? You, you really haven't seen them come out and and come out flat and, and look like the effort's not there or anything like that. It, it feels like it's going to be hard to keep that up after this one. I mean, this is one of those losses that it feels like it's going to be very difficult to come back from. Now, I, I felt the same way about the fourth quarter against Dallas, and they obviously came back from that really strong for two quarters today. Uh, but another huge challenge on his hands and what will just be, what, his sixth game as an NFL head coach uh, to try to get these guys back on track because – uh, that 33-point deficit, it's the largest overcome in NFL history. That's that's going to stick with you. Oh, without a doubt. And I think that's – and that goes to where we can just put the final nail in the coffin of Jeff Saturday, right, as head coach. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought – we talked about this on the preview pod, right, and even earlier in the week. So if you miss any of those uh, pods where me and George kind of break it down, in, in large part quarterbacks, but also, too, head coaching search, we are discussing Jeff Saturday's 
um, you know, possible candidacy when he talked earlier this week about kind of going all in for the job and wanting to interview and, and trying to actually, you know, become the full-time head coach permanently. We talked, if you should miss that, go back, check out the Blue Horseshoe Pod, wherever you get your podcasts. But also we talked about we, giving him a chance. It was minuscule. Right? We gave him a small chance. And I can't lie, George, when you're looking at how the Colts are playing, where in the first half, by far, played the best first half offense, defense, special teams of the entire season, maybe in a year and a half. You got to go back a long ways away even last year where they played a full, complete game in all three stages. You're like, well, I, you, this team looks galvanized. They're playing hard for them. And the way you're just right now handling a team that's going to be in the playoffs and maybe it'd be the number two overall seed in the NFC, it's tough to maybe think, like, if you're Jim Irsay, well, maybe you actually start to give Jeff Saturday a real look and maybe things turn around. And I think it's it's fair to say, any thought, no matter how small it was, any thought of Jeff Saturday being this team's head coach going forward, it's kaput, it's gone, poof, see you later, no shot. Yeah, I mean, we talked coming out of the bye week that it was an interesting situation for him because you, you did have the bye, you had a chance to kind of look through some things and sort some things out. It was really probably the first chance he had to put any kind of stamp on this team, uh, given the way that he took over and the timing of when he took over. Uh, and that's what I was thinking in the first half was, you know, he came through and with his very first opportunity, uh, he came out and, and they looked really good. And he obviously made some changes uh, that needed to be made. And even then, though, I was thinking, well, you're going to have to see how these other three games go because we've learned anything this year. It's not to put too much on any one performance. You know, this the biggest thing with this team has been inconsistency. And now uh, they did it within within the same game. I mean, these two halves could not have been any more different. You're ahead 33 to nothing at halftime. You get outscored 36 to three in the oh. second half and then lose the game in overtime. Uh, for me, the toughest thing is is really putting, you know, who do you blame the most? Obviously, the defense has to hold a 33 to nothing lead. I don't care what the offense does or doesn't do. The defense has to hold yeah. a 33 point lead. That's the most obvious statement out there. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like they went too conservative too soon. Um, even that the last field goal in the first half, you, you had a chance to be more aggressive on that drive before you're kicking the field goal. Um, and especially with an offense that, that you know has not been good all year long. You had some opportunities, I think, to, to kind of push push the, the pedal down a little bit more in the first half and in the third quarter. I think they took their foot off the gas too early. But at the end of the day, uh, the defensive performance in the last, I guess, 23 minutes of, of regulation and then 33 minutes overall with overtime is completely unacceptable. You, you can't it wasn't, you know, the Dallas game, there's 54 points, but there were turnovers and short fields and there were mitigating circumstances. There's only one turnover in this whole mix today. Uh, this was just big plays allowed by this defense, things they hadn't done all year long. Total collapse. Um, everybody shares in it. Maybe special teams doesn't. They played really well. They got the block punt, yeah. scored a touchdown, had, uh, what, five field goals, I think, from, from Chase McLaughlin. So, I'll give the special teams a pass. Everybody else today gets an F. Without a doubt. And it's just, you know, the most frustrating part, too, is especially in the first half where you're, again, up 33. Like, I don't think we can repeat that enough. 33 nothing at halftime. You know what the crazy part is? I wonder about your thoughts just about this, George. I honestly didn't think the Colts played, like, great. Like, I thought defensively they were outstanding. But, like, you look at how Minnesota played, they gave you a few freebie turnovers. Kirk Cousins was not very good. I thought Stephon Gilmore was tremendous, and they did a great job in the first half taking away Justin Jefferson. But especially offensively, like, this Minnesota defense is horrendous. But it didn't feel like the Colts were, like, truly – like, I feel like there was more just Minnesota playing bad on all three levels than it was um, the Colts playing, like, great. And then it's like you said, like, you couple that with just a, a total collapse. And you know the most frustrating part, too, is about the, the collapse second half? usually you can kind of see it coming a little bit where coming out of the locker room with the Vikings getting the football, you would think, okay, Kevin O'Connell, maybe will give him a kick in the ass and they'll come out with a, a good drive to start the tone and maybe get a touchdown and kind of, even though it's 33 to seven, give yourself a little bit of spark. The defense, I believe it was a three and out or maybe they got one first down, but the defense put the yeah. clamps on right away. So it's like, you got on and off the field just like that. And then you go get a field goal um, shortly after the, the Vikings score a touchdown. So it's like the Colts for two and a half quarters, did like everything they, they should have done. Even again, they were assisted with, with bad turnovers and bad play by Minnesota. And then it's just like, they just stopped playing and yeah. they just stopped playing. And like I said, that's what leads to a, a historic collapse. It's not just 33 to nothing at halftime. That's bad enough. It's 33 to nothing midway through the third quarter. Yeah. There's eight 30 left when, when Minnesota finally got on the board. So it's, 
Yeah, it, it's a historic collapse. It's it's unacceptable on on every level. Uh, I totally agree with you. I think I don't think there was much chance. We we've talked about that several times. I don't think there was ever much chance of Jeff Saturday getting this job full time. But uh, you know, I, I don't know how with the last two games, sixty two points in the fourth quarter and overtime allowed w- without a point scored. Um, that alone, you know, without the historic comeback, is something that that, that you can't even fathom. Um, there's no way in my mind he holds on to this job. Um, but I also think they're going to have a tough time. The other thing I was thinking at halftime was maybe they're making some interest in this job, but with some candidates out there, maybe there's some guys watching this potential head coaches who are saying, you know, there's talent here. There's something to work with. That may still be the case. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of coaches out there who feel like they could have held on to a 33 point lead today. Um, since no one in NFL history had ever failed to do it before today, but it just doesn't feel like, I don't know how this game helps them in, in, in any way other than draft position. And that's the most, like, and that's why this list lost, even though again, it's good for the draft position. And overall, again, we talked about, if you said Friday, we're doing the preview pod, Hey, the Colts lose again. I don't really, I couldn't find a negative to that. The only thing that you said is. With this historic collapse and it following you around everywhere the rest of the season, you're going to hear about it. You're going to hear about it all offseason. I mean, look at the butt fumble of Mark Sanchez. George, that was like – it's and in, in terms of history, nowhere near like, you know, a, a historical moment. But that's one of those plays that lives in infinite no matter what. And now it's like you hear the, the Oilers come back uh, or the Oilers collapse against the Bills. You're going to hear the butt fumble. And you're going to hear this 30 0 comeback for the rest of time. Like this is never going to go away. The Colts are now forever etched in history – and I will say this. I think the only way it's worth it, the only way that you can feel better about it, and I'll feel better about it as a Colts fan, is if you are able to get Bryce Young. If they are sitting there, pick number six or number five, and they're able to trade up, or maybe, God forbid, or, you know, maybe somehow for some reason Bryce Young starts to fall and you're able to get him. If you are, if we are sitting here end of April with Bryce Young in a Colts uniform, this loss, this collapse, absolutely worth it. I'll hear the jokes. You can make the 33 nothing jokes. You can make the 28-3 to jokes with Matt Ryan and that poor guy. We'll talk about him in a second. Uh, on the edge of two historic collapses, it is all worth it. It is absolutely worth it. Other than that, this is just, like I said, a a stain where even in a situation that helps benefit the team, the Colts still find a way to have you feel frustrated and upset, even when overall the net was a positive because you get better draft position with the loss. It's like this team has found an elite ability, elite ability, and making fans feel upset, pissed off, frustrated, even when a result does go their way and what is overall, again, a loss that helps benefit the draft position. It's still, frankly, I don't know if we can curse, but I'm take a risk here. Shitty feeling. It's, it's rough. Uh, and, and when you couple that with what happened in Jacksonville the last year at the end of the year and, and, and the way that loss ended and, and that was its own historic collapse, you know, losing to, to the team of the number one pick. Uh, first time that's happened in NFL history where, where the team of the number one pick keeps the team out of the playoffs in the final week of the regular season. So, um, you know, two straight years here where it's going to be long off seasons. Um, I think a lot of lingering doubt. And and I think the question now has to be asked, how close is Jim Irsay now to, to completely cleaning house? I mean, we've talked most of, of the year about feeling like Chris Ballard safe. And obviously when Jeff Saturday was introduced, uh, Irsay made it clear that, you know, gave him the, the dreaded vote of confidence. So, is that still the case? I mean, how does this loss reflect reflect on Chris Ballard? Um, given that this offense, look, the defense again. I'm not going to let them off the the hook at all. They were dreadful it, for the last 33 minutes of this game, counting overtime. Uh, they didn't really do anything right, and and obviously you can't ever blow this kind of lead. But I think you also saw in the second half the limitations of this offense. Just just how bad this offense is. I mean, yes, they put up 36 points. 14 of those came from the defense and special teams. Like you said, they were never really moving the ball well, even when they had the 33 to nothing lead. They took advantage of some short fields. Uh, They had a couple good drives in the first quarter. Uh, But for the most part, the offense still wasn't very impressive. And then you get to the second half where all they really have to do is pick up a few first downs. You know, if you pick up five, six, seven, you know, eight first downs there's not enough time for minnesota to come back and and they were just so inept on offense they were giving the ball back so quickly even without the turnovers this time around and and i think that's 
how much culpability does Chris Ballard have in that, given the fact that, you know, there was a lot of talk for a number of years. You got to get more wide receivers. I don't know how much they are to blame in particular for this, but the entire offense has to take a hit here. You know, the offensive line situation, we've talked about that. I think they were that bad today, uh, which is another area here that I think calls into to question um, just how bad this offense is. I, the line wasn't terrific by any stretch of the imagination. Matt Ryan still got hit too much, but it wasn't one of their worst games. It was, they weren't um, sticking out the entire day as, as you know, not being able to, to get the job done. I just look at the overall picture and, and I have to ask, you know, does this loss throw Chris Ballard's name, you know, into the fire a little bit as well? I think it has to. I think you bring up a great point. Right? We could focus on Jeff Saturday and him blowing the loss, but also the roster itself. Like they weren't built to be able to, with like, if you can just, even with no, like if honestly, George 33, nothing. And like I said, half, almost halfway through the third quarter, I'm not kidding. Me or you, if we're the head coach, we should be able to, to, to have that lead be safe. And you're right. Like, at the end of the day, it does come down to the players. So I think Jim, uh, Jeff Saturday, without a doubt, has secured his status. But you're right. Now the attention has to go from Jeff Saturday. And these last three games, it's on Chris Ballard. Because you know what, George? The thing for me that was like the, the most frustrating, there's a lot to point to here, but I thought that was the most damning of this roster. Fourth down and one with a chance to ice the game. I thought this should have went for the field goal. Jeff Saturday decides to be aggressive and wants to go for it. Fourth and one, the highest paid offensive line in the NFL could not get a push. This is the worst defense in the NFL, George. The worst. And you're telling me on fourth and one with a chance to ice the game, prevent yourself from becoming a part of history in a totally negative way. You really couldn't get a push of one yard to get your quarterback to fall forward and ice the game. That, like That's a straight indictment on the offensive line and a straight indictment if you get, look, look up, like you said, to Chris Ballard, the man who constructed this offensive line, the man who thought that left tackle as a bandit and right guard would be no problem at all and it's going to be fine. And that's like that. That's really where you kind of we talked about the offensive line at the beginning of the year. And like if, today, almost felt full circle. We talked about the offensive line as being the biggest reason why this team struggled early on. And that important seven game stretch, they lost twice to Tennessee. Matt Ryan's fumbled the ball; he stunk, but in large part because they couldn't get any pass protection. And now we're talking week fifteen. The offensive line, not that they were the sole reason to blame, they said because everyone's to blame for this loss. There's no one person that skirts blame. There's no one person that's more to blame than anyone else. Everyone's equal. But the offense, you're really telling me, George, you can't on the high spot offensive line get one yard on a key fourth down to win the game. That's embarrassing. It's flat out embarrassing. And it sums up this offense all year. I mean, you, you're going against a team that's given up 400 yards in five straight games, which is a, a franchise record for them that they would rather not have. And you can't get one yard to, to put the game away. You're absolutely right. You know, there's another situation uh, that just really shows the limitations of this offense. I understand to some degree the thinking on the offensive line. I, I don't condone it because ultimately uh, you should be going out there and it, with a 37-year-old quarterback and trying to do your best to make sure that he's the, the most protected he could be and has the most weapons he can have. I and mean, you're going to bring in a guy like that. You got to do what the Rams did last year and try to make sure the situation is is you know perfect or, or as close to it as it can be. Um, but I do think that I think the thought process for Chris Ballard goes back to last year. You had offensive linemen dropping left and right, and it felt like they could plug anybody in, and they just kept rolling. They were still able to run the ball no matter what. Danny Pinner would come in at center. They were fine. Matt Pryor would play all over the line. They were fine. Didn't matter, you know, the struggles they had with Eric Fisher. They win that game on Christmas Day in, in uh, Arizona with, I think, yeah. three starting offensive linemen out. And I'm sure that played a lot into the thought process. So I know where it came from. You know, the idea that last year you could just plug in eight, nine guys and they were able to keep going. But I still think it's malpractice to count on it happening again, you know, to to not shore things up better, especially when you have a 37 year old quarterback who's not mobile. You knew pass protection was going to be a major component for, for this offense. You had to protect him if, if he's going to have any chance. Uh, and it's really sunk the season. I mean, today the, the blame goes all the way around. But if we're looking at the whole year and, and why you're four, nine and one pass protection's got to be right at the top of the list. Without a doubt. You're listening to the blue horseshoe podcast. Ryan, Nicky, George Bremer here with you <laughs> trying to put the pieces back together after a 39, 36 overtime loss to the Vikings of historic proportions. They blow a 33, nothing lead. 
biggest blown lead in NFL history. We see your comments, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on Twitter. Make sure if you listen to us for the first time, check us out. It's the Blue Horseshoe Pod, wherever you do get your pods. We will be back. Uh, we'll be here all throughout the season and especially the offseason. But I want to ask you this, for those watching and commenting, we appreciate your comments. We're going to get to them here in a second. But I want to ask you this, because George, you brought up an interesting point. So let's just continue to add more salt in the wound. Let's just kind of, at this point, laugh in the face of misery. You brought up the Jacksonville game last uh, last week, uh, last year, week 18. Let me ask you this. I want to ask the people listening on Twitter and YouTube this. What's worse? Is today's loss to the Vikings blowing a 33-0 lead worse? Or is last year's embarrassing loss to the Jaguars, the no- team with the number one overall pick, who ended your season, which should have been a playoff team, is that loss worse? We'll get to that after the fastest commercial break you'll ever hear as you're listening to the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Like I said, we are back here in the Blue Horseshoe Pod. That was a woo. Hopefully you didn't blink because that commercial break went uh, as fast as it could possibly be. We don't lie here. We tell the truth. It is George Bremer and Ryan Hickey alongside with you. So, George, I am curious because you sparked the thought bringing up the Jacksonville game last year. That was embarrassing. I have – I'm trying to remember. Like, like, there's not, thankfully, for the most part, in my Colts fandom of being 20 years old, not a lot of, like, down, soul-crushing moments Last year was the most down, depressed, I feel like soul-crushing moment I've had as a Colts fan, watching their season slip at the hands of the Jaguars in Jacksonville Week 18. Do you think, especially since you were there last year in person and saw that, you know, saw that just unbelievable car crash happen, do you think last year was a worse loss, or would you say today blowing a 33-0 lead um, to the the Vikings on a standalone slot, not in like a one o'clock Eastern slot where it could get kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit, a prime or standalone one o'clock game on a Saturday, blowing a 33 nothing lead, the biggest blown lead in NFL history. What you, what would you say is worse? Well, I don't think the 33 nothing leads ever going to get lost. I I, I don't know. Even, even if it was tomorrow at 1 PM, I think this one still would have, would have got plenty of attention. Uh, people would have been cutting to that game, probably, especially with the overtime period. Uh, it still would have had a national audience for, for the ending. I'm going to go with the Jacksonville loss because of circumstances. One, it cost you a playoff berth, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, two, that was a team with a winning record uh, that going into it. I mean, I I know personally I was trying to, you know, hustle. Uh, all I was thinking about that week was hustling around to make flight accommodations for wherever the playoff game was going to be. There was no thought that they were going to go and lose that game to Jacksonville and, and, and not be in the playoffs. Uh, so I think that one, you know, because of everything it cost the franchise, a chance to get in the playoffs, a chance to make a run. Uh, and, and that was a better football team. You know, it was a, it was a more productive team uh, that actually had something to lose. This one, the historic nature of it makes it one of the worst losses in franchise history. But this team's four, nine and one. And, and the problems that that we saw today, as, as we've mentioned, have been there all year long. It's still more surprising to me they had a 33-point lead to blow yeah. than it is that they blew a 33-point lead. So, you know, I, I don't – to me, it's it's the Jacksonville, and, and it's really not that close. It's cra- I agree with you. I agree. And it's crazy we're in agreement on a loss to Jacksonville last year. We're talking about a feat that literally no one else has accomplished where NFL Network showed this. And I just want to read it in case you missed it, but also to just emphasize how historic this was because I can't believe this number. Teams since 1930 in the NFL that have led by 30 or more points in a game, their record is 1,548, one and one. The one loss before today was the Oilers blowing that insane game to the Bills, in which, ironically enough, Frank Reich was the quarterback who did, you know, uh, who did lead that comeback for Buffalo. But up until today, teams with 30 or more point leads, 1548, one. And one. I don't know who the tie is. I would love to know who, who the tie is, what that score was. But we know the Colts made history in terms of blowing the biggest lead today, 33-0. And even with that said, even with you blowing a 33-0 lead and making yourself the top of the history in, in terms of um, records you never want to have broken, I'm with you. It has to be Jacksonville because, like you said, that's still even coming off of the emotional win in Arizona and you had the Raiders and the Jaguars close out the game or close out the season. You got to win one. Okay, you lose the Raiders game. Carson Wentz is in COVID protocol all week long. Okay, fine. It's still like you go to Jacksonville. I know it's been a house of horrors, but the Jacks have nothing to play for. They have the number one overall pick. Trevor Lawrence has stunk in his year. You had Urban Meyer get fired. How big of a train wreck that was. Even with the history, even with even some questions about, uh, you don't feel great about going to Jacksonville. Like I said, there's never a thought that the, the Colts would actually lose that game. They're a much more talented team 
last year than they were this year. They played obviously a much better opponent, a 10 and three Vikings team that moves to 11 and three. So it's impressive in one sense. Like I said, the Colts got to a 33 nothing lead in the first place, but I'm still with you. The, like the, the pain today is nowhere near the pain I felt last year. And again, part of it was I was rooting for the loss. So even though towards the end, I'm now rooting for a win to, to combat history, it's still not the same compared to, like I said, last year, where it's just like, okay, they're going to win, they're going to go to the playoffs. And then it's like you said, who are they going to play? What's the matchup? Can this run game, can this defense kind of maybe catch fire and you can go on a little bit of run in an AFC? It still is last year. But uh, I did not think we, we'd find a game, George, to be honest, that maybe even could rival the pain and the embarrassment of last year. And give the Colts credit. Give the Colts credit. They tried their damnedest. They tried their damnedest today. That is for sure. They almost succeeded. I mean, this they got is... three to go. Don't don't count them out. They got three more. And another primetime so, game. You know, another primetime game. So uh, who's not going to want to watch them now? Who knows what will happen? I think for once they probably got some interest now uh, from the nation because who knows what's going to happen in a Colts game? That uh, to me the most unfathomable thing about this. They've been inconsistent all year. We know that. It's something we talked about. But the defense in the first half. Couldn't have been more dominant. They were incredible. They were dominating the Vikings pretty much across the board. I think at one point they had like 65 yards in the second quarter. Uh, it was just incredible what they were doing. And then the second half, they couldn't stop Minnesota. I That to me is the hardest thing to really understand about this whole game. How the defense went from lockdown, you know, incredible, making a statement on national television in the first half, shutting a team out to giving up 36 points in the second half and looking like they, they couldn't get a stop to save their lives. Are we going to, let me ask you this, George, are we going to get another Jim Mercer video thing today? So at least apparently on no. Twitter, according to one of our YouTube commenters, Ozai 75, he says, according to Charlie Clifford, this is the first game all season. Jim Mercer has not been seen in the locker room. Now Jim was there, you know, I, I'm, I can only imagine what's going through Jim's mind right now. Are we going to get another video in about an hour or so from now outside his private jet? With the engines revving and blaring, probably wind blowing all across, making it impossible to hear what he's going to say. Are we going to get another State of the Union from Jim Irsay after this historic collapse? I think we got to hear from him at some point, but I, I don't know what Jim, what Jim could say. No, say I hope not this week. You know, I, at the end of the year is fine, but I don't know what you can do at this point. They're already shorthanded on the coaching staff. They were down a coach offensively to begin with because you had fired two and, and only brought one back in. And then Clayton Adams, of course, left and and took the job in, with Stanford. I don't blame him. I'm not trying to, to cast any aspersions on him. He, he knows that that there's no future for him here. Uh, the, that writing's on the wall. No matter if Jeff Saturday kept the job or not, there were going to be a lot of changes on the staff, and he did what, what he had to do, took a job at Stanford to be an offensive line coach there. But now you're down two coaches on the offensive side. I don't, I don't literally, I don't think there's anything you can do. You can't really make any more coaching changes. You, one thing I think you should do, um, and I was thinking about this even when they were ahead. I think you should shut down Jonathan Taylor for the year. I, I don't know what you know, got the ankle injury again. I don't know what you get from sending him back out there for three more weeks at this point. Let him heal, put him on injured reserve. Uh, you know, get him ready for 2023. At, at this point, you just be putting more wear and tear on his body that, that seems completely unnecessary. You know, along those lines, I'm pretty sure that that they can be eliminated from playoff contention this week with with uh, just a few other things happening. I think maybe only two of those seven win teams need to win to take them out of the wild card race. And obviously a Tennessee win would, would bounce them right now. Um, it's close enough, even if they don't, if they, even if they aren't officially eliminated, that maybe you consider, you know, sitting Matt Ryan and going to Sam Ellinger like you talked about. Uh, those are the only changes I think you can make at this point. The changes that sort of throw in the towel – I don't really see – I don't see the usefulness in, in another coaching change at this point, and I really don't think it's something that is feasible. Again, you're down two coaches on the staff now. I, You want to make that situation worse? You didn't think anybody on the staff was good enough to be the interim coach you know, two months ago. Why would that change now? I, to me, the only change is bench – don't bench uh, Jonathan Taylor. Let him rest. Put him on IR – end his season, shut him down, and bench Matt Ryan. That's the only two things I can see uh, that, that really make any sense at this point. I'm in report, writes on YouTube, start Ellinger, fire Ballard on Saturday, make Fox the intern for the final three games of the season. 
I'm with you. Like, I'm with you, George. Like, fire. You, there's no point in firing anyone. The, firing anyone at this point is stupid. You got three games left. Like I said, you're already down coaches. You can't, you literally can't fire anyone else because then you're going to have, there's going to be no staff left in order to get anyone ready. But I think you're right. I think I will. So I'm an optimist. You know me all season long. I've tried to look at the bright side. It's just, it's just the way I, I'm wired. I always have to try to look to something positive because if I just sit in the negative, I just have, it just, it's not a, not a good place for me for sure. So I always look at the positive. I think the positive is exactly what you laid out and blown a 33 nothing lead. This confirms uh, for Jim Mercer, especially the, the season's over. The tank is on. Like I said, Jolly Taylor gets hurt in the first quarter. It's reported to be high ankle sprain, did not return. There is no reason, no reason whatsoever to have him step on the field and put a pair of shoulder pads on again each at, at any point in the next three, uh, any three games. Shut him down, worry about 2023. I think, I think blowing this game and embarrassing fashion makes it easier to do that. I think you're right. Benching Matt Ryan, going to Sam Ellinger for the final three games, makes it easier to do that as well when you blow a 33 nothing lead and have this loss in embarrassing fashion. You want to definitely bring uh, or not bringing Jeff Saturday back whole hell of a lot easier after this loss. So I think it does make everything easier if you are Jim Mersing, if you're Chris Ballard, and even in a sense Jeff Saturday to where you truly have no reason now, no incentive to win any game. I know they say coaches and players don't tank, but you can make it to where you bench the quarterback, you bench your best player uh, on the offense in terms of Jonathan Taylor, and you just kind of play your hardest with some of the worst players. I think you're right. That's the the two positives. The one we talked about is it helps get Bryce Young. This loss is worth it. The other positive is, like I said, th- this has to confirm. All doubts or, or all hopes of a playoff spot or even just finishing the year flat out, uh, flat out strong is gone. It's absolutely gone. Like I said, now it's just start to already focus on 2023. That's take care of some of your most important players health-wise. And then, like I said, quarterback, running back, set them down, done for the year. And at this point, honestly, it's more important. Probably it sounds callous, but it's probably more important to protect that that Matt Ryan injury guarantee at this point. I don't know what's going to happen with him next year. He may end up being the starting quarterback here next year, depending on how things you know play out. We we've talked about that a lot on the pod. I don't think that's out of the question, but even with that being the case, why risk it? Why risk him getting hurt uh, in three games that, that have no meaning to the Indianapolis Colts uh, in, in putting yourself in that, in that position. I just don't, I'm not saying it will happen. That's, that's the way I would go and just, you know, give Sam Ellinger three more weeks to see what's there, you know, just to see what he can do. It won't be a, a fair, situation for him by any stretch especially if Jonathan Taylor's shut down um also in in regard to shutting down Jonathan Taylor let Deion Jackson get the bulk of the carries I don't I don't know what point there is yeah. really in in having Zach Moss play as much as he did today I'd call up Jordan Wilkins let Moss and Wilkins back up Deion Jackson but for the same reasons as Ellinger he you know look Jackson's shown at times he can make some plays this year I would I would give him the load these last three weeks, let him be the, the bell cow running back and and see if, you know, if he can carve out a, a more significant role for himself next year. I think you're hundred percent right. Like I said, at this point, it's just, there's no positive. And like, I'm with you, by the way, when you say, I want Matt Ryan to be the starter next year. Cause I think if you're realistic, if they don't get Bryce Young, I think any quarterback you do end up drafting, we talked about this with Eric at home a little bit as well. So if you again, if you missed that, that was our Friday preview pod. Make sure you go back, check out the blue horseshoe podcast. We had Eric at home draft analyst for NFL media on. And we we're kind of talking about that. Is there any other quarterback outside of Bryce Young that you can maybe start week one? And he didn't really feel good right now. I know it's early in the process, but he didn't really feel good about anyone. So you're right. Like I think for the most part, if they are to draft anyone outside of Bryce Young, I would still like to see Matt Ryan be the quarterback next year, at least to start the season and be a mentor for whatever young guy they get. But also at the same time, I want to have the flexibility to do so, right? Like, and you talk about the injury guarantee. Matt Ryan gets hurt, can't pass a physical uh, in March. That that money is, I think it's an extra $17 million, I believe, off the top of my head. It's guaranteed. So that really doesn't give the Colts any sort of flexibility where you, you can get rid of Matt Ryan if you want to. I think he'll be back next year. But if you have, for whatever reason, opportunity to move off from him and get someone else or include him in a trade, whatever, I want the Colts to have the flexibility to make a move if the move is there, you know, and, and having him play, like I said, risking him getting hurt and actually having the worst case scenario happen where any of these three games he does get hurt, you're screwed. So that's that has to be now. I know it's easy for us fans to say, George, 2023 has to be the focus and priority when you're still going on in 2022. I get it. It's easy for me and you to say that. But now, especially, you lose a game like this. It has to hammer home the fact to everyone in the facility. This season is over. There's no benefit left coming out of the season. 
and you, for the sake of the franchise going forward, for the sake of Chris Ballard's job, arguably going forward, if he wants you back next year, you have to already in your mind be preparing game planning for how can you turn 2023 around at the head coach, at the quarterback, overall on this roster. And I think that in part makes, you know, I like your point of talking about some guys getting benched just to preserve their health and preserve flexibility for next year. That has to take precedent now, the final three weeks of the, uh, of the regular season. Just forget the fact that they're on primetime again next week. It doesn't matter. It, it does not matter. You embarrass, you embarrass yourself enough. The good news is, again, an optimist here, George, you can't embarrass yourself any more than you did today. That's impossible. Thirty for nothing in the fourth quarter against the Dow uh, against the Cowboys two weeks ago was bad. I don't know. You can't get any worse. Like, is there a way? I'll ask around. Is there a way they can embarrass themselves more than blowing a thirty-three nothing second half lead uh, when they play the Chargers next Monday night? I can't. I, I don't know. I don't see how it's unless you blow a forty nothing lead. I don't see how it's possible. I, I'm just saying, don't tempt fate, man. Don't challenge this team. They may rise to it. Uh, they may find a way. I I don't know. Uh, you know, in speaking with bench and guys too, you know, the other thing with Matt Ryan beyond the, the injury guarantee, he's been beat up a lot this year. So if you do want him to start next year, or there is any thought in your mind that he might be the starter next year, it's the same mentality as it is with Jonathan Taylor. Why have him take any hits even without the, the guarantee? Why have him take any more unnecessary hits? Why not try to get him back at, at 38 in the best shape he can be and, and see if he can put together a better season next year? Um, yeah, I think it's that time. And there's some other guys, you know, probably aren't coming to mind right in, right away now, too. I would even consider benching DeForest Buckner, shutting down, not benching, shutting down DeForest Buckner. You've seen the size of that brace on his elbow. It's, it's gigantic. He's been playing with it now since, I want to say, like week three. It's been a long yeah, time. It has He's been. another guy that has just put his body on the line, uh, has fought through, I'm sure, more than we know right now. All those guys that are in that situation, uh, I think it's, you know, they always talk about saving the players for themselves. I think that time has come. Anybody who's pushing through something, who's, you know, needing extra shots or, or whatever to get on the field every week, now is the time to put them on injured reserve and, and look at the younger guys because they, honestly, they've earned it. They put it all out there. They they fought the good fight. The fight is over. I think that's pretty obvious at this point uh, with three weeks left in the regular season. Get these guys a chance to get healthy. Give them a chance to, to get ready for 2023. Like you said, that's got to be the vocal point. The players and the coaches won't think that way. Uh, obviously, they can't. It's not the way they're wired. But the organization needs to think that way at this point. I, I don't know that there's any other real logical approach you're 100 right like i said 2023 has to be the precedent and that's the only really good news i can maybe point to out of this <laughs> embarrassing loss because like i said they were trying hard jeff Souter talked earlier this week about you know hey we're here to go four and oh i'm coaching for my job basically so he was going to go all out and pull out all those stops and the, yet again i think this kind of hammers home any any hope, any questions, any possibility of him coming back, of this team making a, a, an improbable playoff run, everything is gone. Like I said, now 2023 has to be plastered all across the Colts facility. Worry about the future. The present right now is absolutely cooked. All right, we'll take one more very quick break here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Wrap up, had a historically bad day for the Colts. And talk about one other option, because there's been a huge theme of today um, for how bad it was where the theme I think today is even when something good happens and you lose out the draft, the draft stock for the Colts, which again I think is the, the main and biggest important key here, you still find a way to feel bad about it. And the offense showed that. I'll tell you why when we do return to the Blue Horseshoe Pot right here. And we're back. Look at that. The best thing about today is not watching the Colts, but also at least the quick commercial breaks where you don't have to sit through commercials. We are back. Ryan Hickey. Record-setting commercial breaks to go with the record-setting comeback. <laughs> That the theme of today, right? It's records. It is records. Ours is good. Record setting commercials, which you like. Colts records, not so good whatsoever. Blown a 33 second half uh, point lead. As you know by now, the biggest blown lead in NFL history. So, one thing I want to run by George is this the Colts, it's going to get lost. And I'm not trying to, again, turn this into positive. It's embarrassing, but it goes just back to the, the frustrating part of you can't really have any nice things this year. Colts scored 36 points, their season high. The first half, they scored 33 points. 
for the most part, they're clicking. They get a few breaks from the, from the Vikings for sure, but the Colts are also making their own luck. They're looking solid. And the second half, you have the Colts. When you're up 33-0, they totaled the rest of the game 104 yards of total offense, three points, and look at what Minnesota did. When you're up 33-0 after that stop where the defense gets you off the field pretty quick, you start the second half. This is what Minnesota did in the second half to finish the game. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Interception, interception, touchdown, downs, touchdown, punt, punt, as we know, field goal there to, to walk it off. And I will say this, George, the Colts, too, they, they forced three turnovers. They won the turnover battle, which I got to look. This has to be the first, second time this year they won the turnover battle, three to one, which is insane. Insane more than they lost the game, too. But the, the, you know what the frustrating part, too, is when you lose this game, they got two major, massive breaks from the referees where – I think it's a little bit less debatable the Michael Pittman Jr. fumble scoop and score because you heard the whistle and then the ball came out. I know it's one of those frustrating things where you're still fighting for yards. Maybe I wouldn't have blown the whistle, but either way, the forward progress being stopped, it's hard to argue. But then the, the fumble that should have been returned for the touchdown that should have changed the entire game around, you get that wiped off the board. A second touchdown possibly for the for the Vikings defense taken off the board, and then you still find a way to lose. It's unbelievably bad, George, how the Colts found a way to lose this game off of their best offensive performance of the season, at least in the first half. I defensively couldn't get a stop. Offensively they couldn't really get much going. And I said, even had the referees on your side, still didn't matter at the end. Nope. No, I mean, everything about it. Like I said, the special teams are the only people I'm letting off the hook. Special teams had a really good day. Uh, blocked punt, got a touchdown, five field goals. Uh, give them credit uh, for coming out and, and playing well. Everybody else, it's historically bad. I mean, that's... You look at the numbers uh, in every way, it's historically bad. And again, the defense to me, it's, it's, it's really hard to fathom how you go from the first half as dominant as they were to the second half, you know, not really being able to, to just get one more stop uh, would have won this game. You know, it, well, comparable a little bit to the Baltimore game last year. Obviously that was not as big a comeback, but the fourth quarter of that game, uh, pretty much very similar to what was going on here, where you just need one defensive stop right down to needing a stop on a two-point conversion, and that would save you, uh, and, and you're not able to get it done. I do think part of it is early in the game, for whatever reason, uh, Minnesota was testing Gilmore and, and trying to force the ball to, to Jefferson, and in the second half, they really started to spread the ball around a lot more, and I think that was a big factor uh, in, in them being able to have a lot more success, but that to me is just unfathomable. That big of a swing in one game, to watch that defense in the first half, and people go back and watch the tape of this even years from now are not going to believe it. To watch what this defense did in the first half versus the second half, I can't remember a swing like that it, that I've seen in a game I've watched before. And, George, I was texting you at halftime or the early second half because we were talking about it on the Steelers preview pod how I thought that was going to be the, the first Colts game where they won a, a game by double digits. Every other win they had so far this season, you had to sweat it out. So I thought, okay, this is going to be the first comfortable win. And you were saying that your prediction was this is going to be the game where Nash is going to watch and appreciate how truly good this Colts defense is. Because you look at their record, they haven't really had a lot of primetime games up to that point when they played the series a few weeks ago. The defense is underappreciated for how well they played. And you thought that's going to be their breakout and this is going to be an easy Colts win. And we were texting, okay, we were, we were, you know, we were a few weeks off, right? This is the first comfortable one of the year for the Colts in terms of national standalone game. And the defense for three and a half quarters was unbelievable. Or two and a half quarters was unbelievable. Harassed the Vikings every which way. And as we know, like you mentioned, the, the turn happened as insanely um, and quicker than I ever could have uh, ever could have ever envisioned. And so, uh, yet again, our predictions were wrong here. Two quick things before I want to throw you away, George, before we get out of here. Number one, WISH TV is reporting that John Taylor is leaving the game in a walking boot. We just talked about it a few minutes ago. No reason, zero reason to bring him back. Walking, uh, leaving in a walking boot. He's reported to have a high ankle sprain when he left the the game in the first quarter. I think it just confirms it, right, George? Like there's. You can't bring him back no matter what. No. Now, you might not physically be able to come back. You know, high ankle sprain is right. sometimes more than three weeks anyway, but there's no reason to push that. There's no. none whatsoever. Um, shut him down. I know it's it's a tough year for him, and, and he's going to fight that, I'm sure. Uh, but sometimes, like we said, sometimes you got to save these guys from themselves. And the other thing I want to throw your way is because I was – when the Colts were in the midst of just beating down the Vikings in the first half, I actually tweeted at Jim Harbaugh. I think it's Coach Jim for, for UM. Make sure he's watching the game. Like, you know, this is a, a job he interviewed for last year in the Vikings. They didn't give it to him. And now a team that I think for me, you know, and the Colts should be, Jim Harbaugh should be the Colts number one candidate for the head coach. 
I was like, oh, Jim, hope you're watching. Look at this. There's some talent here, and you can just come in and kind of finish the job. Do you think so – we do have some, you know, people uh, on YouTube kind of saying, hey, hopefully Jim Mercy is calling John uh, Jim Harbaugh. I agree with that. Do you think this loss changes the way Jim Harbaugh would view the Colts? Or do you think, hey, the fact that they got out to a 30th and lane, maybe he looks at it and goes, the talent's there, but if you get a real head coach and not an ESPN analyst, maybe, you know, I could be the difference in closing this game out. Like, how do you think Jim Harbaugh, um, assuming he's interested in the Colts job, which we believe he is at this point, there's no reason to believe he's not, how do you think he looks at this game uh, after what was an historic collapse? I think any coach would probably feel like they they would be able to, to handle. I mean that that's you know you gotta have a bit of an ego to to get to have the success that he's had, uh, and, and really to get to that level you have you have to have a pretty strong belief in yourself. So I think probably every coach would look at it and feel like I would have handled the second half differently and I would have won the game. Uh, to me, it just underlines the frustrating part of this this team. I mean, you're looking at a football team this year that beat the Chiefs, that had the Eagles on the ropes, you know, right down to the final minutes. And then had a 33-point lead on Minnesota. That's three double-digit win teams, three division champions. All three of them have a real chance to be a top-two seed in their conference. And you're 4-9-1. and one. It speaks to the frustrations with this team. It speaks to the inconsistency with this team. My dog is jumping in now. He, he's upset about this, too. It That, to me, is, is what's underlined by this. It's incredible how well this team can play at times against good competition and then how poorly it can play at other times. Dallas game's another example. Three quarters there, you're right in it with another team, that, that a double-digit win team. That's four games where you're either taking teams down to the wire or winning the game against some of the best teams in the NFL right now, and yet you're 4-9-1 and one in your setting records like this. It's incredibly frustrating I think that's why I don't think it's a you come back to bring this back to your original question. That's why I don't think it's it's going to really be that big of an effect on on how head coaches view the team because it's it's not a new problem. It's it's just the the latest most aggressive symptom of of what's affected this team all year long. I'm with you. I like the ego point as well because like I feel like you're right. Like when you are a Colts team that for the most part has gotten close in a lot of aspects and not going to be able to get over the hump. If you're a coach like Jim Harbaugh, let's say, like, you have to feel like, oh, okay, you know what? I can be the guy to get this team like turned around. And when you see at least how close they are, they can't go over the hump. You have to feel like I could be the difference in getting this team over the hump and beating a team like the Eagles, beating a team like the Cowboys, closing out a 30 to nothing lead against the Vikings. Like, I think for how frustrating, how painful it is to have the Colts blow these leads and not be able to close out games against some of the best teams in the NFL. It could almost work as a benefit in a way when you're pitching a guy like Jim Harbaugh to come to Indy because it's, it's not like you're the Texans. It's not like you're the Texans where you're non-competitive, where you see how far away you are from everybody else, and it's like you have to jump through 10 hoops just to be able to get from bottom of the barrel to, like, mediocre. Like, like there's so many rungs to climb, whereas if you are right now Jim Harbaugh, you say, well, they're competing. And, and again, that's a, I, I get that's a loser mentality because it's kind of like a, a participation award of, oh, they're playing hard. They're keeping it close. You're not winning. But I think a guy like Jim Harbaugh can look at that and say, I could be the difference in getting this team over the hump and turning a 4-9-1 and one team which record-wise looks like crap, but there's actually some, you know, get them over. There's talent there where they are competing. They just don't want to close out games consistently. I could be the difference maker where you can win a third through nothing game. You can beat the Eagles right now and give them their second loss of the season. You can take a two-point deficit in Dallas and forget about just losing third through nothing in the fourth quarter, actually winning that game. So I'm, I'm actually, it's crazy to say, I think Jim Harbaugh kind of looks at this and is like more inspired in a way of saying like, I can be the difference here. And this team... In terms of a turnaround, I was leading help at, at quarterback, left tackle. Like, there's areas without a doubt. Like, we're not saying this is a pro roster band stretch of magic. We've talked a ton already about all the areas they need to address, and we'll continue to talk about all the areas they need to address in the offseason. This team is not as far away as their record would indicate. That's what I think, and that's kind of the takeaway from this game for how historically bad it was. And I think it almost inspires and motivates a guy like Jim Harbaugh to say, you know what? The Colts, record-wise, not attractive, but what they, the play action on the field is a job where I think I could turn around relatively quickly. If they can just get out of their own way, right? I mean, that's been the key this this year. You can just uh, not make the simple mistakes. This time, it wasn't so much the offense turning the ball over. It was the big plays on defense. You know, allowing those long runs and, and the big plays that they allowed in the, in the second half. The comeback doesn't happen if you make Minnesota take the long route all the whole second half. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's been that simple with this team all along. Now, the, other, the flip side of this, I don't want to get into a long conversation now because I know we're wrapping up. But the flip side of this is, does this, you know, we, we talked earlier about 
does the loss overall affect Chris Ballard's job security in a negative way? But do these four games where they've hung with some of the best teams in the NFL, is that reason for Jim Irsay to maybe say, no, I, you know, my belief in him is, is well-placed. This team is close. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the offseason. And especially for an emotional man, right, and Jim Irsay, who looks at this from a fan perspective more than a business perspective, I would say he'd be more frustrated and humiliated at like, oh, we can't cover the hump, I got to get someone else in, than maybe be inspired by, oh, we're close. Uh, let's kind of, you know, run it back and see if we can get it over. Again, I think especially if you're going after Jim Harbaugh, the decision about Chris Ballard's future is in Jim Harbaugh's hands rather than, you know, in Jim Irsay's hands per se. But, like, that's, again, first and foremost, that's, I like think, right now the, the biggest thing the Colts could get. The guy that absolutely Colts should, you know, go after first and foremost. And I hope, I hope, that's all you can do after this. And that's the only way I'll put the cherry on top of this loss and put lipstick on a pig of a 33 nothing blown lead is hopefully this inspires Jim Harbaugh once Michigan season ends to kind of say, you know what, I'll be, I was the saving grace here at Michigan. Maybe I'll go back to the NFL and be the saving grace in a place I used to call home in Indy as well. So, George, I will say, this is not the pod I thought we'd be doing. I thought we'd be doing a post-game pod about a loss to the Vikings. I still did not think we'd be doing a historic pod uh, talking about a loss to the Vikings. And I didn't think we'd be going live on Twitter because I didn't think there'd be enough people to actually care about a loss to the Colts with how the season has gone so far. So appreciate all of you listening, to, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on YouTube. We appreciate you kind of joining us in the pain of watching the Colts lose 39-36 in overtime blowing a 33-second, 35th and second half lead, the largest blown lead in NFL history. Truly unbelievable. Truly did not think this house was going to spend most of my Saturday afternoon. That is for sure, George. I think you need another drink after after watching that just awful performance. But if you're listening to this for the first time, this is the Blue Horseshoe Pod, Ryan Hickey, George Bremer. Welcome. We will be here the rest of the season, three pods a week. So make sure you check us out, the Blue Horseshoe Pod, wherever you do get your podcasts. Make sure you're following George on Twitter, who will be tweeting every single day. Does a great job covering the Colts, not just in the next three games, but folks, we got a very busy offseason for you. Head coaching search, quarterback uh, questions. We already started doing an early look ahead in terms of the draft. We'll be kind of profiling Anthony Richardson later this week on the Blue Horseshoe Pod and kind of talk to some scouts. So we'll get you set. And while we can't really look to anything towards the future of being uh, positive, or at least in the present, I should say, ending, uh, in the present look towards positive, we will start to look for the future, try to find positives as well. So make sure you're checking George out on Twitter at GM Bremer. You can follow me at Ryan underscore Hickey number three. We will be back on Wednesday morning with another midweek pod. Still probably, George, honestly, pick up the pieces from this historic loss. Maybe we'll have a firing. Who the hell knows? Maybe we'll have a Jim Mercy Mercy press conference. I have no idea what to expect between now and Wednesday morning, that's for sure, but it should be eventful. It should be eventful, that's for sure. No, there's no doubt. Uh, it's never dull around here. I mean, you can say a lot of things. It's never boring, uh, even in the midst of a 4-9-1 season. That is for sure. So, again, appreciate all of you who join us here on this live edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Make sure you download, subscribe, wherever you do get your pods. And we'll talk to you on Wednesday right here on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. <laughs>